Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to help you get the most out of your grappling ability and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to the BJJ Brick Podcast. This is episode 359. I'm here with my good buddies, Byron and Gary. We have on the show this week as a guest, Alvin Tillman, who's a black belt out of Sugarland, Texas. And uh, he's he's attempting to put together a program to provide uh, some jiu-jitsu training for local law enforcement. He'll be starting in Louisiana. So we talked a little bit about that and a little bit about uh, being black in America. So a different episode for us. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's what we got. Let's start the show with a quote. And we were searching for a quote, and I seem to remember reading something this week, and I don't think it was attributed to anybody. But it was, in effect, too many people spend too much time trying to figure out how they would play the perfect hand when what they really should be doing is figuring out how to play the hand that they're dealt. And I think we can all relate to having goals or having a plan, and then it just doesn't always go according to plan. And, and a lot of people, I think, just spend more time wishing things were right and wishing they had a better hand and, and thinking about how they would play that hand. And we just sometimes need to, to buckle down and play the hand we're dealt. And, uh, of course, right now, none of us are in normal training routines. Um, uh, I'm training, rolling very limited with, uh, with uh, just a limited amount of people. Uh, a lot of gyms are still closed, and it's not the perfect hand. But each one of us has to figure out how to play this hand the best that we can. I like it, Joe. Um, you know, when I hear that quote and think about jujitsu, the thing that I hear a lot and people ask me, and and they're like, man, aren't you upset that you didn't find out about jujitsu till you're 35 years old? And you know, that was the hand I dealt, I was dealt with, um, you know, jujitsu was not very well known. Um, Hoist, uh, brought it, uh, you know, to light in the UFC, um, you know, with the UFC and, and really made it, you know, pertinent here in the United States. And I didn't know about it. There weren't schools around and, and I mean, I started at 35, but you know, I'm going to make the best of it. I look at it this way. I got, uh, 65 years to train till I turn a hundred. So, um, you know, I'm going to make the best of it and learn every day. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's an interesting quote. Yeah. You know, like you said, we don't really know. <laughs> we kind of have, uh, we didn't start this episode with a quote. So that's a, thanks for bringing that Joe and, and, uh, and sharing that with everybody. I do have a off the mat lesson that I would like to drag back onto the mats and see what you guys think about it. Uh, there's a company called vision spring and they make eyeglasses for people who need eyeglasses, I guess. They, they make them really cheap. We're talking like $3 a pair of glasses. And they and they go to countries that are really struggling. And, and people, some people live their whole lives having severe vision problems. And that's just the world they live in. And they could be fixed with a $3 pair of glasses. Like, hey, one of the biggest problems you have is being able to see correctly. And I, could you, I don't know, could you imagine being at our age right now and being handed a pair of glasses and the world clears up for three dollars <laughs> it's amazing so this company that they 
first had the the idea of okay joe come in here and we, we test your eyes we do all this sort of thing and okay now you need this prescription of glasses now come over here pick out your frame pick out the color of frame and you've got um a lot of things to to decide to get the right glasses for you and it turns out in this process that 65 percent of the people would walk away without getting the glasses that they needed that's amazing. Like that, what is going on here where most people say, you know what, I'm keeping my $3 and I, I'm not going to get the glasses. And so they made a change. They said, okay, Joe, come in here, look through here, you know, read the eye chart and, and okay, Joe, here's your prescription. Here's your glasses. And they just hand you a pair of glasses. They, no decisions to be made. And almost everybody is happy to pay the $3 for these life-changing glasses that they are handed. But the, the taking the decision-making out of it as far as style and all these things and just handing them the, the pair of glasses made a huge difference in uh, getting them uh, the thing that they need. And I think jujitsu, we have this problem present all the time with the flood of techniques that we have coming at us. And it, it's just overwhelming at times. And it, you know, coaches out there, you need to be aware that the students are bombarded with different things in jujitsu. And oftentimes the coaches do it themselves. You know, if you're showing three different techniques a night, every night, and students come in three or four nights a week, that's a ton of techniques. And it really is hard for them to make a decision on which one they should they should stick with or which one they need to invest time in. So think about just boiling that down and having less options for the students, but making the choices for them sometimes and having them uh, work in the right direction. Same, but I mean, you can't prevent that online, but they're going to go explore what they want to explore and grow and develop in ways they want to. But uh, just as a, as a coach, uh, just be aware that sometimes more is not always better. Hey, Byron, you, uh, the very first way you were talking about the glasses, they were given $3 to buy glasses. Is no, that what you said? You no, know, it would cost. I mean, so the glasses, it, it's, uh, I don't know. It says it's, it's a charity. The they it would just... cost $3. So, it, I mean, it would, it, and, it, and in these countries, that's a, that's a, that's an amount of money. That's not nothing. I mean, it's not like a cup of coffee here, Yeah, that, but it, it's well, maybe, I, I maybe a day or said... two's wages, but it's a life changing thing. And they would not get them because of the decision that they had to make about which style and all these things. With okay. It. But okay. once they just took that I away, it's said a, they were, go ahead. I thought you said they were given $3 and to pick one and they wouldn't, pick a you know i, I was okay. thinking they were probably using the three dollars for food um but okay that makes sense yeah i mean it, so that, that there is a cost for these glasses but once they took away all the design you know elements and all that is like, here's your glasses if you want to buy them for three dollars almost everybody bought them it was worth the investment whether it was a day or two of of, of hard labor or you know whatever it was they had the three dollars uh that they could make it work such a huge difference in life I, gary i know you wear glasses and I don't. Could you imagine going well, I, right to now into your, into your life and never having a pair of glasses to have? Well, I, I was going to say uh, a minute before we got on here, I was just finishing up my workout, and I don't wear my glasses when I work out. So uh, I had already had the computer lined up or whatever, and I I came in here, turned the fan on to get ready to talk, and I was like, "Oh wait, I don't have my glasses. I'm not going to be able to read." Uh, you know, the notes that you didn't supply us um, <laughs> or any of this stuff. So, so yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, you know, same thing with uh, 
purchasing glasses, like you said, the style and everything. Um, you know, my very first set of glasses, which is the glasses I still have, the only glasses I've ever bought. I didn't know what to get. I had no clue. Um, so I brought my daughter with me and I had the lady selling glasses and they basically picked them out for me. I didn't know what looked good and who knows if they're playing a joke on me, but, um, um, yeah, it's a, it is a tough decision. Yeah. Gary, some people look really good in glasses and, uh, and you, but you also wear glasses, you know? Yeah. Yep. Appreciate the compliment. <laughs> but hey, you Gary, know, going back, to, I, I, my, one of my best looks is wearing this the Corona mask. It covers most of my face. I look that's I'm looking as good as I get right there. Yeah. Yep. No, but uh, going back onto the Mac, kind of what you're talking about. Um, you know, I, I agree with that, and I was uh, I was kind of on another podcast. Uh, check out Old Rollers podcast. Um, we'll share it to the Facebook page. But we were kind of talking about. Um, you know, being a little bit older and rolling and, you know, just having so much, uh, you know, when we first started, there was nothing online for, you know, Byron, Joe and I to watch or, or the rest of you've been training a long time. Uh, there was very little. And now there's so much online. It's easy to overindulge, to look at too much and to try to learn too much and, and you don't retain any of it. Um, and that's, I think, a, a tough thing that some of the newcomers are going to have to deal with that we never really had to deal with. Um, you know, they're going to need guidance from their coach, you know, not to, uh, you know, go too far into jujitsu until you understand, you know, what has been taught. What was the name of that? You mentioned that we didn't have much of an online resource, that website, like on the mats.com or something like that. And I used to go to submissions one Oh one. Yeah. <laughs> Those were good. And it was like yeah. they had videos sometimes. <laughs> that was a big deal to hit play on a little video. Yeah, but there was nothing like, you know, Ryan Hall videos, no. uh, you know, Grapple Arts, um, you know, uh, Stephen Casting, all these all these cool things. Scully with his big thing, all the Donahue yeah. systems, Bernardo Faria, BJJ Fanatics. I mean, you could just – you've got everything under the sun at BJJ Fanatics. Yep. Plus and, gear. And you, yeah, plus gear. And, and you can go a long way without spending much money either. A lot of these guys put free stuff out. They put cheap apps out. Um, yeah, it's all over the place. I remember when Byron asked me one day, uh, "Did I have I liked the Mendez brothers on Facebook? And I hadn't been on Facebook long, and I was like, no, I haven't. You know, why should I like the Mendez brothers on Facebook? And Byron's like, yeah, they just taught a kind of cool little reverse Kimura grip. So I went on and liked that. And next thing you know, I get some free stuff there every now and then. Then I started liking, let's say, Stephen Kesting and got some free stuff. And I just go down the list. And, you know, I always sign up for everybody's email list. So my inbox at work just gets blasted. But uh, <laughs> I don't mind it. It's uh, it's good stuff and uh, a lot of free stuff. But you know, I'm always going to give back. I'm always going to, you know, buy stuff. I have a whole library there of BJJ Fanatics. And, uh, you know, it's really held my game out a lot. Gary, I, I like how you use your work email. <laughs> and then, so, okay, that's the thing. Gary uses his work. People do that. But Gary is also involved in the training videos that go with uh, work videos that 
tell them how to be safe on the computer. Is that is that a good way to describe that, Gary? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> and you're using but, your work email all the time. Yeah. <sighs> <sighs> That's funny. Yeah. You 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 guys do a great job with those training videos. I've seen those and and uh, educational and entertaining as well. Thank you. Oh man! Hey, I want to give a quick plug to uh, one of our audiobook six games for BJJ. Uh, you can find it in the BJJ Brick shop. Uh, just go to the website, find the shop right there. Uh, the games are really designed for you to alter the way you play jujitsu and show you things about your own grappling that you may not have known. And that's a simple way to say it. But uh, you know, if you're uh, if you change the the goal, the 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 process will change. And you know, of course, you won't get. You know, if you, if typically you, you you roll, I roll with Gary. My goal is to uh, you know do these one or two things and end with uh, you know rear naked choke or something like that. If I change that and and my my goal is to like use minimal energy or to just try uh, everything I could think about. You know, like have like four or five different submissions from each position and just pull the trigger on the first one that's available. That's going to change the way the roll goes a lot. It, it won't be as good for me, <laughs> but the learning uh, will just skyrocket there. So check it out. It's five ninety nine. Uh, it's it's a little over an hour long, and it'll give you some different ways to to roll. And uh, hopefully, you'll teach yourself a little something about your own jujitsu. All right, fellas, roll the interview. Uh, let's welcome Alvin Tillman to the show. Okay, I'd like to welcome to the podcast Alvin Tillman. Alvin's a friend of mine who trains up near houston texas i'm a little further south than he is um alvin give us a brief introduction if you wouldn't mind all right guys well before i give my introduction let me start first by giving my testimony because today i wasn't supposed to be here because something came up so um did we had scheduled this 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 interview for what maybe two weeks three weeks now been working on it for a few weeks yeah all right cool so in the midst of that uh, a friend of mine a family friend of mine asked me to do some work on their home Uh, I, i really shied away from doing residential work but i was like you know what let me do it so this project started to overwhelm me and it because i ended up having to do more than what was expected of me and it got really salty really fast and this morning when i woke up i was on my way to the customer's house and uh i was like man i got that podcast to do today but uh i'm gonna just blow it off i'm not gonna do it i'm gonna give i'm gonna give you a call and and and, hey bro look i'm stuck at work and that was at like 10 o'clock right so the first thing that happens when i get to work with this morning was i start arguing with the customer and and it just the dude was just being a real butt um and I, i walked off the job and i was so angry i was so angry but god had a plan we were supposed to talk about this stuff the things that we're going to talk about today and i was going to blow it off because i wanted to do what i wanted to do but god had a plan and i didn't even see it so um, as I was sitting there, I rate with this guy. He didn't want to pay me my money. I'm like, you know what? Don't worry about the money. But when I sat in my car, the Holy Spirit said, now, you were angry for what? Because you were supposed to do something today that you know you were supposed to do, but you were going to blow it off because you wanted to do what you were supposed to, you wanted to do and not what you were supposed to do. And what do I mean by supposed to? God has a plan for us all. And we all tend to deviate from his plan to implement our own wants and needs for that thing that we're supposed to do. So by me saying, you know what, God, I'm not going to go to that podcast. I'm not going to talk about these social injustices and the things that we can do to make our communities better. I'm going to go and make this money. I'm going to go fix this guy's house. And man, 
as I was sitting there, I'm in the car and I'm furious. My son's watching me and he's like, dad, are you okay? I'm like, you know what, son? I was mad. But then God spoke to me and said, now I shook up this foundation to make you move. You didn't walk off that job because you wanted to walk off that job. You walked off that job because I had something for you to deliver today and you were trying not to do it. So I made you very uncomfortable so you could walk off this job and do that podcast. And in the midst of God saying that to me, I was like, wow, he really does have a plan. And for me to say that I'm going to put myself first, but God say, "Uh, let me go ahead and shake up your foundation real quick and make you move the way I want you to move. That lets me know that what we're going to talk about today needed to be heard, whether or not I wanted to deliver the message or not. It needed to be discussed. And so I'm here. So that being said, that was my testimony. Now, let me introduce myself. Uh, my name is Alvin Tillman, Jr. Um, I am the Brazilian top team coach in Sugarland, Texas, a BTT South Houston. I'm also the founder of uh, Warriors for Christ Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, which I, well, I won't say founder. I'm just the coach. God is the founder. Um, and. I've been doing this now for almost 22 years. Um, I started out, man, in 1997, 98, uh, when I joined the military. Uh, did that for several years in the military till I got medically retired. Um, then I got in law enforcement uh, in 2002. Uh, and that's when my jujitsu experience really uh, led me to where I am today. Uh, I got choked out by my best friend, Thomas Rhodes. Uh, he came to my house and he's like, man, I got to show you something. And I'm like, all right, cool. You know, so he chokes me out, rear naked choke. And I said, this will never happen to me again. I started training jujitsu and, and, and 22 years later, I'm still in it. He's a little bigger, a little heavier, and he's not. Um, <laughs> we've had several uh, I'll take your belt matches where we both went home crying to our wives. But uh, it, it was an awesome experience. So that's a little bit about myself. Uh, now, a little bit about my family. Uh, I've been married for 22 years. I just made my 22 year anniversary uh, last month to an awesome woman, Jessica Tillman. Um, man, she's been my rock. She stood by me through my good and my bad and the ugly. And there have been some ugly. Uh, but that's my testimony. You know, they're no longer ugly things. They're my past and I'm a better person for it. Um, I have three kids, a daughter, Adriana Monique Tillman. Uh, she's 20. She goes to Southern Arkansas University. Um, my oldest son, um, Stephen. He is 21, and then I have Kale. He's 15, and then Xavier, my baby boy. He's about to make 12 next week. Um, so, yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. Nice. Now, when you grew up, did you have a large family? I do. I have a very large family. Uh, man, Lamar, Chris, Michael, Matthew, um, Morgan, Megan, the seven, and Sharota, and... Dorinda. So there's nine of us. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot. Big, big city when you no. grow up or out in the country? Out in the country. Home of Louisiana at the bottom of the boot. Um, most people know it for the oil field. Um, it, it, the, oil, the oil field was like, the, that was the center of the boom, Homa, um, when I was coming up. So, yeah, real small town. Okay. So, so coincidentally for our listeners, I work in Louisiana and I work in the Homa area. So I'm familiar with where Alvin grew up. Um, uh, this is a little bit different of an episode in that uh, we're going to be talking about some of the uh, racial incidents that have not so much talking about the incidents themselves, but uh, there's been a lot of, lot of attention on racial issues in the United States in the last uh, couple of weeks. And uh, Alvin had something happen to his sister that uh, kind of touched me and I want to talk about that. So we're going to talk about that. Um, I, I want to say first off, before we start uh, that I heard a definition of the word bias a long time ago. 
it's just the lens through which each of us see the world and it's based on how we grew up you know our education uh, what we're exposed to and sometimes it produces uh uh, a negative tint it's tainted and sometimes it's just a tint we see things differently mm-hmm. uh, where you grew up is cajun country and, yep. you know, yep. definitely a different culture there and i'll say that i grew up on the west coast and this is a podcast not video so if you don't know alvin is an african-american man i'm a white man we're about the same mm-hmm. age it sounds like similar upbringings i also came from a large family but i lived in like only white mm-hmm. areas you know on the oregon coast small towns four or five thousand people 96 97 percent white right and so definitely a different uh makeup and so sometimes when i see incidences i don't understand them the same way you do yeah i mean i, yeah. I it's, it's just a fact you know and i grew up in a religious family where uh, the authority got the benefit of the doubt almost all the time so for me there is that knee-jerk reaction to always be, well, what happened before the video? Mm-hmm. You know, you see that all the time, yep. right? And so depending on how you grew up, and so you have to recognize, if, is that a bias that is inconsequential or does it have consequences? You have to kind of deal with that. Hmm. Anyway, uh, if you would, could you recount the incident with your sister that happened a week or two ago? Yeah, and before I do that, let me say this. A lot of people get upset when people of color speak about things that they see happening in their community. And I want to say this and I want everybody to understand that I'm not racist by any stretch of the means. My wife is white. My kids are half white. My great, great grandmother is white. I found that out several years ago from my dad doing some history digging in our family. So not by any means am I racist. But when I talk about issues like this, I'm not talking about a race issue. I'm talking about an issue that involves race. There's a difference. Some people say that, oh, well, you try to make it a black or a white thing. No, I'm not making it a black or white thing. I'm just pointing out the fact that I see a situation that's happening with black people and sometimes white people. These instances also happen with black people. I've been accused of being a racist by a black dude. Never understood it, but it happens. So I don't want anybody to think that, that we're actually talking about a race issue. No, we're talking about issues that involve race. And that's something that um, we really need to uh, understand. So back to the question you were asking, my uh, sister, if, if right? If you could recount this situation All right, with gotcha. your sister. So uh, about two weeks ago, um, my sister called me on the phone. My sister's 24 years old, college graduate from Dillard uh, University, um, very educated. And so she calls me really irate, and I'm like, what's going on? She's screaming, and I can't understand anything she's saying. So I'm like, look, you need to calm down. Tell me what happened, because if I can't understand you, I can't help you, I can't fix the problem. So she proceeds to tell me that... Um, her car was hit by a guy. The guy happens to be white. So the guy hits her vehicle and he tries to leave the parking lot. She flags the guy down, tries to tell him that he hit her car. So when he stops, she tells him, hey, sir, look, you hit my car. We need to call the police. So once my sister tells him that they need to call the police, the guy gets angry and says, and, I, the, and I, this is what I heard on the phone myself. I was listening to the whole conversation. The guy's like, so she called you in yeah, the middle of yes, this, not yeah. afterwards. No, no, no. She called me in the middle of it. And the guy tells her, that's what's wrong with you black people. I'm going to shoot you. Wow. So she's she's irate. I tell her, get out the phone, call the cops. So my sister calls. Uh, the guy flees. Um, and this is in Jefferson Parish. Uh, anybody who knows Louisiana knows Jefferson Parish. Sheriff Harry Lee. Um, that dude runs that city with an iron fist, you know, or did anyway. He's no longer there now. But um, 
So the first officer gets there, takes my sister's report. She tells him that the guy pulled out a gun. The officer tells my sister that, well, I can't take your complaint because I'm a traffic cop. Okay, problem number one. How can you not take someone's complaint because you're a traffic cop? You're not a traffic cop. You're a cop who happens to be assigned to a traffic division. There's a big difference. I'm speaking on what I know because I'm former law enforcement. So for a police officer to tell a, a citizen that you can't do something because you're doing a certain job, nah, that, that doesn't fly with me. So at that point, I'm pretty upset. So I tell my sister, don't worry about it. Let him do his job. Let him take your traffic report. He comes back, tells my sister, hey, by the way, now mind you, not once have you heard me say, he, the officer asked my sister how she was doing. Are you okay? You know, she'd just been threatened to be shot. Um, your insurance and registration is expired on your vehicle. I could give you a ticket for that. Wow. First of all, you can't even renew your registration or your driver's license right now because of COVID and the DMVs are closed. I don't care what state it is. Either they're closed or they, they only take limited numbers or something like that. So they, they most states pass the law saying, hey, you have three months or whatever to get your stuff squared away. So... um he tells her, okay, I'm not going to write you a ticket. I'm going to let you slide this time. You're going to let her slide, right? After she had just been threatened to be shot. But you're going to let her slide for her expired registration. Got you. So the other officer comes on the scene. My sister starts to explain to him what happened. You know, she goes through the story about the guy pulling out or threatening to pull out a gun on her or whatever. And this officer proceeds to say, not how are you doing? Are you okay? Do you need EMS? Do you need me to call somebody? Get off the phone. You're distracted. And I told her, no, don't hang up the phone. And then he tells her, well, you know, it's a felony to lie to the police, right? Now, at this point, I'm fuming. And I, and I, I tell my sister, stop him in his tracks. And I told her to put me on speakerphone. And I told him who I was, told him I was former law enforcement. And I asked him now, why didn't you ask my sister, how are you? Why didn't you get a description of the suspect? Why didn't you get his license plate number that she took a picture of or any of these things before you went to tell her that it's a felony to file a, a false police report? Now, mind you, as, as a former law enforcement officer, the first thing I would do if someone were to tell me that someone just threatened their life, I get on the radio, I put out a bolo for this guy, give the description, license plate and all that good stuff so somebody could find him because this might not be the first time or the last time that he does this. He could have shot someone. Never did they do that. So the guy takes the report and my sister, she's really she's upset because of the stuff that he's saying. So she's writing her statement. And mind you, the guy says that if you write a false statement, you can't go to jail. So basically saying if you mess up on this uh, witness statement, we're well, going to be in trouble. So you better write it right. So my sister starts writing her statement. Or not, or not write it at all. Or not it write it at all. Happens. Right, that's, right. That's the goal. For mm -hmm. the and, I mean, I'm not trying to accuse no, them of something. No, ironically, my sister said that. She was like, you know what? I don't even want to file a complaint, so I'm glad you said that. Uh, and I'm like, no, you have to file a complaint. Regardless of how this guy is acting or, or how, how unprofessional he's being, you need to do what you need to do. So I told her, I said, now, go to your car, write your statement so he's not watching you, so you don't feel pressured. Um, so she's writing her statement, and she messes up. So she's like, well, I messed up. I scratched it out. I was like, ah, just go ask the guy for another form. This is a piece of paper. You have thousands of these. So to give a witness statement again for somebody to rewrite is not an issue. Still on the phone. She asked the officer, can I get a, another witness statement because I messed up and I don't want to write the wrong thing because you told me once that if I falsify a statement, I can go to jail. So he's like, no, you can't have one. So I asked him, I said, are you really denying her 
another piece of paper so she can fix her error so she doesn't write a false police report or, or complaint or witness statement and he refused to do it so i was like okay cool no worries i said hand in the paperwork and just let him know put him on speakerphone i said i will be calling the sheriff's office tomorrow and filing a complaint on you and he proceeds to tell me and this blew my mind well what's the sheriff's name if you're going to file a complaint i said i don't need to tell you his name don't worry about it i know who he is i know it i know who it is very well and he's like yeah right you're probably going to go google it this is what the white cop told me on the phone. So the, the, the guy's demeanor was just it was it was not professional at all. Now, is it a race issue? Who knows? Was the guy just a jerk? Most definitely. But it happens to be an issue that involved a white police officer and a black complainant. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying it's a race issue. I'm just saying that it was an issue that involved race. And there was a cop who was white. So now we don't know what happened. I went to the office. I tried to file a complaint. I was told to call 911. Anybody who knows what 911 is, it's an emergency line. And it's against the law to call 911 for BS. You can't do that. It's, it's, it's a crime. So why would you tell me to call 911 in order to file a complaint on an officer who was being unprofessional? Hmm, maybe so I can call 911 and get in trouble for filing a report on a 911 line? I don't know. But... I didn't call because I know better. So, yeah, we don't we don't know what's going to happen with that situation. But hopefully that guy will no longer be working at the department when this all gets out. I got you. So, so and I'll just say for our listeners that uh, the, the reason this touched me is because, like I said, I tend to have a, a default. Uh, oh, there's got to be more to the story mm-hmm. when I hear these mm-hmm. things. But because I know you, you did a Facebook live and it's. Maybe the first time I've seen somebody recount an experience like this where there's just no doubt in right, my mind what right. happened. So I appreciate you taking time to come on here. No, my pleasure, and I appreciate the opportunity. So uh, coincidentally, you do have a background in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's get to jujitsu first. I-, I wanted to ask you kind of, if you didn't mind, how your experience in the U.S. as an African-American in jujitsu has been, has is it always open? Have they ever, are we doing good as a culture in jiu-jitsu? Man, when I started jiu-jitsu back in 97, 98, there were not many blacks in jiu-jitsu. Um, in, in my town, I was the only one. Um, man. But my coach was white. All of my counterparts, James Morgan, Scott Pritchard, Scott Porter, um, Derek Bro. Uh, these are all guys that I came up in the in the ranks with. Um, they never looked at me funny. Um, when I started, uh, there was another guy, Prentice Shellman. He's a black guy. He was a purple belt at the time when I started. Um, and uh, we never really. I've not, once I take it back. What was that guy's name? Oh my gosh, I can't. The name I didn't. It, I probably shouldn't even say the dude's name because it's so bad. So I'm glad I can't remember his name. But uh, the one time in jujitsu in 22 years I ever had a racist issue was when a black belt came to our gym um, from New Orleans. The guy, you know, at that time in '97, '98, doing jujitsu, you know, hey, you're a black belt. Who's going to question it now? You got YouTube and all this other stuff, so people are calling out black belts left and right. So the guy comes in the gym and he tells my coach, well, I want to roll with you. And our gym was old school. So you don't come in the gym and call out the coach. The coach is going to say, um, and it was Tori Bienvenu. He said, if you can beat him, you can roll with me. Mind you, I said this guy was a black belt. At the time, I was a blue belt. He got on the mats. I waxed him. 
It was it was it was so quick it wasn't even funny. And the guy gets off the mat and he screams out, I can't and I don't know if I can speak frank or not, but he says, I can't believe this nigga tapped me. That was his exact words. In the gym, everybody was like, Whoa, my coach kicked him out of the gym. We never saw him again. I think if he hears this podcast, he'll know who he is. So I really don't have to say his name. But that was the only time in jujitsu that I had ever seen for me, and I'm only speaking for myself, any type of racism in jujitsu. Twenty two years. That was the only experience I've ever had. Um Moving to Houston was a little bit different. Um, I moved to Houston in, in 2007. Yeah, my baby boy was born in 2007. No, 2008. Um, and at that time, I came and I was training with Leonardo Xavier. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, at that time, he was a really cool dude, but I guess I wasn't meant to be at his gym because he didn't like the fact that I was tapping some of his upper belts. So our relationship dissolved really quickly. Um and at that time, I started then training with uh, George Makako Pacino. Um, stayed with him for years. Um, and then I started to see Professor Darren McCall. That was the second black dude that I had ever seen in jiu-jitsu. I think Steve was the next one. Um, and it was, I was amazed, you know. And, man, I think for two years, and he's my professor now, Darren, he called me. Hey, come and train in my gym. Come and train in my gym. Nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I was looking for something else. I, 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 to be honest with you, I was looking for Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. That's what I was looking for. I, was, I just had this vision in my mind that I had to be a Gracie black belt. And I went to Healing Gracie's gym. I went to Gracie Baja. Um, and none of them fit me. Uh, and then one day I called Darren two years later. And I'm like, hey, coach, do you mind if I come over to your gym? So I walked in his gym. And uh, he had the family values on the wall and it's been history ever since. So um, now coming up, you see a lot more um, African-Americans in jujitsu um, being able to to show them. They see, you know, that we can do things other than rap and play basketball and football. Um, and it, it's awesome to be able to share it. So, yeah, it, it, it's coming a long way. It's come a long way since I started. Yeah. So I, I, I always have felt one of the things that uh, helps jujitsu do well at these kind of things is that. Uh, we kind of just lay ourselves bare. You know, there's a lot of uh, uh, areas in life where you can sort of fake your way through yep. things. And yep. you can, like, even take church, for instance. Mm-hmm. If you know the right suit to wear and the right Bible to carry and the right time yeah, to say yeah, amen, yeah. you can fake it for a long for time. Sure, but in jiu-jitsu, sure. it's going to come out. <laughs> it's going to come out. And it's funny you say that because, man, jiu-jitsu is the only sport, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, where someone can tap you out with an arm bar or a lapel choke or some fancy sweep and you say, hey, bro, how did you do that? And that guy, no matter what color he is, no matter what belt he is, if he is from a legitimate gym with a coach with real values, he'd be like, let me show you. You can't go to a football coach and say, hey, man, that, 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 that route you ran was awesome. How'd you do it? Let me see your playbook. He would never give it to you. You can't do that in basketball. You can't do it in baseball. Can't do it in hockey. I don't think there's any sport that you can ask a coach or ask an individual how they did a certain technique and they would share it with you. Um, Jiu-jitsu is, man, it's, it's, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. There is no, uh, I'm going to hide what I got. You know what I mean? Everybody wants to share. And I, I think the reason why is because I can show you a move, but you'll, you won't master it until you learn the fundamentals of that move. You can go back and try it over and over again. But if you don't take the time for that individual who showed you how to do that technique to teach you, 
man, you'll do it, but it might not be the same. You might not have the same effect. I, I think as a group, too, we've also really embraced the idea that a rising tide lifts all boats. Right. You know, if I make the room around me better, then that's going to make me better. better. And for then if sure. I take that and put it back into making the room around me better, we're just going to keep getting better. Most definitely. I agree 100%. Um, you recently uh, made a trip to Louisiana to talk to someone there, and, and I want to hear what you got going on. You've got something in the works I'm excited about. I did. I did. Um, man, again, I, I'll say this. As a Christian, I noticed that a lot of us are afraid to say that we love the Lord that we're afraid to say we're Christians, that we're afraid to get up and say, you know what, I stand for something greater than myself. So being able to have this platform to show that what we're dealing with today in society is not so much of a social issue. It's a God issue. When we I, I believe when we took God from football games and high schools and all of these things, it allowed for the enemy to sneak in into our society and make us go backwards from where we were. I mean, come on, dude, we're in 2020 and we're still dealing with social injustices by law enforcement. Come on. That's not a, a society thing. That's a God thing. And I think that if we put God back first in our country, we'll see a lot better results from the things that we're dealing with today. Uh, I just, I just wanted to say that. But um, dang, I lost my train of thought. I start talking about God, man, and my mind just goes crazy. So you have to. Where was I? So you're meeting in Louisiana. Yes. All right. Cool. So my meeting in Louisiana. So I went down. Uh, it was on my heart to not open my gym yet. When God speaks it now that I'm older, wiser, I can hear Him speak and I hear it clearly. So I'm learning to to listen and and to move. Um, sometimes I do hesitate and he has to shake me up like my, my testimony before we got started. But so j- just for some context for our listeners, go ahead. on the day we're recording this in the Houston area, the gyms are open to varying yes. degrees. Yes. Some are kind of on the down low, full blown open. Yes. Some are doing individual mm-hmm. exercises. Mm-hmm. And at this point, you're not open yet. We are not open yet. Um, Warriors for Christ, Brazilian top team, South Houston has not opened its doors yet. And it's because God is leading me in another direction right now. Um, COVID is just a tool that he's using to, to make things better for our country. Um, and I think we will get past this. So, uh, I was going to open up and as you know, all of our other affiliates have opened their gyms. I'm the only coach that has not because God gave me a vision. And that vision was to take the art of jujitsu and, and intertwine it in law enforcement, give them another tool to use in order to, um, make some situations better by no means am i saying jujitsu is the cure-all fix-all for what's happening in our country but i do believe it will be something that will make a change and why do i say that so being in law enforcement um and seeing the lack of training slash confidence slash physical fitness that that we suffer from in our law enforcement today I think that that jujitsu will be something that will allow these guys to have more confidence in themselves. I mean, I, I've seen it where children who their parents bring them in a gym and they say they're autistic and they're being picked on in school and they're not being picked on because they're are, they're autistic. They're being picked on because they're different and they don't have that self-confidence to walk around and say, I can defend myself. I, I don't have to allow someone to to, to hurt me. Um, and that's the same thing that, that I believe that our, some of our law enforcement officers are suffering from, a lack of confidence. And with that lack of confidence, 
the little things that they have learned in the training academy, the Manadnock techniques, the the takedown techniques, the um, Gracie Combatives course where they say you're a three-week coach and now you're an expert. I think that that's wrong. How can anyone take a course for three weeks and then get a certificate and say you're an expert in anything? That doesn't make sense to me. Not knocking Gracie Combatives, but I think it needs to be a little bit more detailed than a three-week training course for someone to go back and teach law enforcement. So... I think that jujitsu will give these guys a sense of confidence in themselves to be able to diffuse a situation. You look at a a jujitsu competition or a fight, a match, whatever you want to call it. And as a practitioner yourself, you know that the moment you start panicking, you lose control, you lose focus, you end up getting tapped. But after training for a while, you get a like I call it the third eye. And, And what do I mean by the third eye? Everything slows down now. Uh, even when I was in law enforcement and I get in a fight um, with a suspect and everything slows down, it's kind of like the matrix. And for those who train jujitsu, you get where I'm going with this. Somebody who doesn't understand will be like, this dude's talking crazy. He's talking about the matrix, but everything slows down. You have a different perspective. You look for different avenues in order to meet the goal of what becoming a champion or winning a match or getting out of being choked or getting out of being arm barred. You find a different route, but the moment that you panic, you can no longer find that route. So my trip to New Orleans or Louisiana anyway, Homa, was was based all on these principles. And these are all things that I was thinking about while I was driving. And it's called 26selfdefense.org is the, the name of the organization. But what it's going to do and what we're trying to do is provide each department. And there are so many jujitsu black belts across the country that I don't think it's going to be hard for us to do to find legitimate IBJJF certified, not, you know, those douchebags that are out there, black belts um, that can help teach our law enforcement officers how to be safe because the training that they have now is good training, but it's not enough training to be safe. They learn just enough to be dangerous. And what do I mean by be dangerous? Prime example. There's a video floating around on on the internet um, amongst some of the other people that have been killed, but the black guy was, being subdued by a white police officer. And and he said this term, and I'm going to ask you what it sounds like to you when I say it. He kept saying, I'm going to choke you out, bro. I'm going to choke you out, bro. Now, what does that sound like to you? Yeah, either he's trained somewhere or he watches a whole lot of UFC or a combination of the two. And he had some intention. He was doing something on purpose. Exactly. So by him saying, I'm going to choke you out, bro, right off the bat, I knew this guy has been to somebody's gym. Because that term in itself is a jujitsu term. Because I say it all the time. When my students make me mad, I'm going to choke you out, bro. But the difference between me saying it and doing it is that I've learned over 22 years on how to apply these techniques. If I want to put you to sleep, I'll put you to sleep. If I don't, I won't. In law enforcement, they learn the the Gracie combatives. I go back to this again. Um, They learn these rear restraint holes. And they learn just enough to be dangerous, enough to put someone to sleep and not be able to wake them up. That is dangerous. Now, mind you, the guy who said that come to find out he was a purple belt. I don't know who his coach is. I saw the pictures, but mm, that's another story for another day. Um, But he was taught enough to be dangerous, but not enough to be safe, because if his coach would have taught him well from a white belt, like any other reputable black belt or knowledgeable black belt, when you put somebody to sleep, what's the first thing you do? You pick up their feet. Why? So you can put the blood flow back to their brain and wake them up. Now, they might have a dream when they wake up and tell you they thought they were eating Fruit Loops or something because I've heard all kind of funny stories from my students. But that's what I mean by just enough to be dangerous, but not enough to be safe. 
So tell me then, the 26 at selfdefense.org mm-hmm. is going to be coaches who aren't currently involved in law enforcement necessarily. They're correct, correct. Coaches Coach, in the yes. Uh, will the program be designed that you go to the precinct and offer lessons or you meet at a gym or uh, how, how are you going to address the logistics of it? So this is the plan. Everything doesn't always go according to plan. Each each department, each agency has a training facility. They all do. Um, so the, the, the vision that we have for um, 26 Self-Defense is going to be if we can do it. Five days a week, have a jujitsu coach that's going to work specifically for that department. Now, the coach will not be hired by the department. It'll be it'll be through the the nonprofit. The nonprofit will take care of all the salaries for the coaches and things like that, so they don't have to worry about payment issues and stuff like that. So, um, so this is a program that's going to cost the taxpayers zero. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, but, technically, it'll uh, be funded uh, if we can. And again, the sheriff in Terrible Parish was really awesome. He was really receptive to the program, and he actually he's a. Uh, uh, offered to help us write a grant um, that would the federal government would pay for it. I mean, we spend a lot of money on law enforcement, a lot. Uh, so why can't we spend some of that money on them to train them? Okay, so, you know, so it so. won't co- cost zero, but it also won't be like bloating the police department. Exactly. Budget yeah, this yeah. is independent of that. Yeah, I mean, prime example, someone was saying something about defunding the police. I think that's nonsense. We can't defund the police. That's that that we would have anarchy. It would be like the purge. So instead of defunding the police, how about we redirect funding to something like this? Something where someone can go in and help and not, you know, be judged. You know, cops can go out and get training and not be judged now. They have the avenue to 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 be able to restrain and hold people in a in a more safer manner. And again, this is just a tool, just like their taser is a tool, just like uh, their baton is a tool, their pepper spray is a tool, and all those things, all of those tools, they have to go through a class. Is it a is it a is it a uh, repetitive class? No, I think it should be, but it's not. Um, but being able to say just like we do, you know, when you when you want to train, whether it's at nine in the morning, twelve noon, seven in the afternoon, having a coach that's on the staff to teach them five days a week. Now, some people will say, how is that possible? Because cops work so much. Well, I thought about that, too. By being former law enforcement, I know how the schedule is run. Two on, two off, two on, three off, and vice versa. So if you do a five-day schedule, or let's just say we do a five-day schedule, and, and, and all the departments say, okay, it's cool. Now, each each officer should be able to make at least two to three classes a week, whether it's in the morning because they might have night shift or whether it's at night because they had a day shift. There's no reason why they can't go to the gym, their own gym, training in their own environment with their own officers, not afraid to learn stuff and, and be vulnerable um, in, in an open gym. Because I know that there are some law enforcement officers that train in gyms now that are real reserved. They don't even want anybody to know they're cops. Why? Because they feel like the environment won't be safe for them. So being able to have a gym uh, or a mat area or whatever they want to call it at their facility, at their training facility where they can use five days a week or so, um, no office is going to go five days a week, but they'll have it available to them five days a week. Um, so if I think you, would if be you awesome. wanted the p- program to work, obviously you do. Uh, what are you thinking that they should be going? Ten times a month, eight times, seven times a month? You know, I wouldn't put a number on it, but I will I will. I'll give it to you like this. Most officers, most officers who love their jobs go to the range and shoot their weapons quite regularly. When I was a cop, I did it all the time. Why? Because it's something that I need to be proficient in. Most officers go to the range and practice, 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 practice. But the department doesn't say you have to go every day. 
The department says that, hey, when your proficiency comes around, you better pass. But the responsible officers will take that time to go to the range, whether it's once a week, twice a week, twice a month, four times a month, and get that training. Their weapons, their firearms are just like their hands. So I wouldn't say, oh, well, he needs to go five days a week because we don't tell normal students to come five days a week. What I would say is you have a tool that's now readily available to you for free. Use it as you see fit. And I think that most officers would do that. Now, that being said, um, I'm also, you know, medically retired from the military. And one thing that was really important to me in the military was my physical fitness. Um, We had PT tests, physical fitness tests. Um, and you had to pass this test. There was a set standard. How is it that we can have a set standard for our military personnel that defends our country that says, well, you can't be five, six, five and weigh 250 pounds. You can't be six, two and weigh 350 pounds or vice versa. Um, but yet the people who are defending our home front, like myself and, and, and a bunch of friends that I have out there that are awesome guys, by the way, white and black, um, Why wouldn't we have this same standard for law enforcement? Uh, Law enforcement officers are no different from soldiers. The only difference between a law enforcement officer and a soldier or a a state trooper and a soldier is a soldier defends our country abroad. Our, our, Our police officers defend our home front. So I think that if we have that same standard for our military, our law enforcement personnel should have that same standard. You must be physically fit. Now, am I saying that just because you weigh 255 pounds, you can't be a cop? No, of course not. But you shouldn't work on the street. You should be a corrections officer or work in the office, be an investigator or something like that. But if you want to get out here and protect our streets, I believe that every officer across the board, and this is something that I think can be actual change, like what the the reforms they're doing with with, with charging police officers. Yeah, that's good reform. But is it really going to help by expediting putting a cop in jail because he shot somebody and you really didn't do an investigation? I don't I don't agree with that. I think that everyone should have due process, whether you're a cop or whether you're a civilian. And that that's one thing that I don't agree with. But the changes that we're seeing are good. But if we're able to implement a physical fitness test, I think you would see a lot more uh, better results from cops. Why? Why do I say that? How is it that a man who doesn't train, doesn't run? doesn't go to the gym, he's expected to go out and protect and serve himself and protect and serve our community. How is that logical when the dude can't run five feet without gasping for breath? Now, I'm I'm not saying that big people are out of shape because I rode with a bunch of big guys in the gym today and they were in really good shape. Even yourself, really good shape, but you train. Now, if you take away the training aspect, would they be in really good shape? Of course not. So if our officers are in better shape, not only do I think that would help, but implementing jujitsu, which will help them stay in shape, which will give them confidence, which will give them that extra push to be able to run an extra mile or two if they have to to subdue a suspect and not kick him in his back when he's standing still with his hands in the air. All of those things. So th- those are some things that I think that that people should be pushing for. And as far as change in law enforcement, not defunding the police, not burning police stations. That That's that's crazy. I agree 100 percent on the physical fitness. Um I think in the back of every man's mind, if you get in a confrontation, you kind of have an idea how that's going to go. How it's going to go. And if I'm pretty sure I'm going to get gassed out in 30 seconds to get my ass kicked, I'm going to be a lot quicker to reach yes, my weapon. Yes, that, that's yes, always been yes. my feeling on For sure. I agree. Fitness. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you should be able to, to run as fast as you can for 
10 minutes. At least at these. least five minutes, bro. Yeah. Like, if the dude's running, come on. If you can't keep up, look, catch him later. But you should be able to at least hang in there for a few minutes, not not take 10 steps and be like, okay, he got me. I'm going to shoot him now. Come on, man. That's crazy. So uh, tell me a little bit about what you're thinking at this point. I, I know you're, the project's still pretty new, but what are you thinking for um, – uh, curriculum are you going to have a curriculum you suggest you're going to leave it up to each individual black belt or what you're thinking on that so far uh i would say we're going to all have to be on the same mindset uh the one thing about jujitsu is this you can go to any gym in the world i don't care if it's in brazil or africa for that matter and you say show me an arm bar if they have a legitimate coach and their coach is actually a certified black belt who knows what he's doing, I don't care where you go, that arm bar will be done the same way. Whether it's arm bar from the guard, arm bar from mount, arm bar from back, back mount, it doesn't matter. It's standard across the board. So I think that if all coaches are IBJJF certified, which the IBJJF is not a, it's not an official governing body, but that's the best we have right now. Um, if they have that certification, you know that those guys are, are are pretty squared away. Now, that being said, there are some douchebags who have black belts that are IBJJF certified. I know quite a few won't say their names, but not saying that's what the process, our vetting process will be able to weed out. We don't want coaches that are throwing chairs at people when they get mad or or, or, or wanting to fight somebody because they didn't get something done the right way. I mean, ah, those are the guys we don't need to be teaching law enforcement because if we get a coach like that, we're probably going to have the same stuff going on that we're seeing now today. So you want a coach that's reputable um, and, and a coach that that has a sense of humanity and, and heart, hopefully God-led. Absolutely. Okay, so I want to keep dragging this back. To go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I want to maybe talk some specifics. So let's say you're uh, one of the coaches. Mm-hmm. What, are you going to be? Or are you I, I, I am, actually. And so right now we don't have funding. Okay. So luckily I'm a black belt and I don't need to get paid. I, I got a retirement. I'm good to go. So I'm I'm going to be going back and forth to uh, Louisiana um, to 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 lead this program off because I I wanted to start in my hometown because this is where I was a cop. This is where I was born. Uh, I worked those streets. I lived in the neighborhoods with these cops and 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 the kids and something that really the real reason why I wanted to go back home and do it is years ago my cousin uh, Cameron Tillman. Uh, was 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 fatally shot by a law enforcement officer, an officer that worked in the department that I worked for. Um, and to be able to say that I'm going to go back home and, and, and try to make a difference in my community first before I do it in anybody else's community um, is, is a good thing. So, um, yeah, I will be going back. So, for example, our curriculum. It's going to be like anything else. When you first come in the gym, it doesn't matter whether you're, you're, you're rolling with a black belt, a white belt, a blue belt, or a purple belt. When, when someone new walks in the door, we teach them the basics. And I don't know if we're going to have a belting system because this thing is still in the mix. I'm thinking more of a tier system instead of a belting system for law enforcement. If they want to get belts, then they go to train at a gym in their local area. But um, a tier system where they each tier is going to teach them basic techniques that they need to know to be able to subdue a a, a suspect um, and do it properly. so they're still going to learn arm bars. They're, they're still going to learn restraint holds. They're going to learn sweeps. We're going to throw a little judo in there because sometimes cops get grabbed from the back. Um, there are several videos out there uh, that I've seen where cops were uh, being melee'd uh, by by suspects in a simple position, like laying on their back and the guys in between their legs. And anybody who knows jujitsu knows if you just arch your hips, they can't hit you in the face anymore. You can defend yourself. But 
these types of things that that can make the biggest difference uh, in, in, in law enforcement, teaching these basic techniques. So uh, we're going to have a curriculum. Uh, it's not going to be anything fancy. They're not going to be learning De La Hiva and rubber guard and all that stuff. No, we're talking about practical self-defense. That's not competition grade jujitsu. So so give me an example. I'm glad that's where I was going next. Um, give me an example of some of the techniques you might favor when a guy's on his back because that's not a position you want you're not playing jujitsu mm-hmm. if you're caught yes okay for example uh let, let's say I'm, I'm 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 in law enforcement again and, and a guy happens to take me down okay cool well a basic sweep you know uh now mind you as a cop these guys have so much more to deal with than an ordinary individual who gets into a fight um and let me say that and let me make that really really clear you have to remember, when a law enforcement officer gets into a fight, not only is he fighting the suspect, but he also has to maintain control of all of his utilities that are on his belt, whether it's his firearm, whether it's his taser, whether it's his pepper spray or his baton. All of these things he has to be aware of at the same time trying not to hurt someone but to do a suspect. So, for an example, um, if, if, like I said, I was on my back and someone was trying to, um, trying to, to hurt me. Uh, I, I kept my weapon on my right side. I kept my mace on my right side. I kept my taser on my left side. Okay, cool. So if I needed to get this guy off of me, what am I going to do? I'd probably sweep him. But am I going to sweep him to my left side? Am I going to sweep him to my right side? Of course, I'm going to sweep him to the side to where when I sweep him to my right, my weapon, which is on my right side, is now blocked by the ground. It's not to my left side where now my weapon is exposed and this guy can still grab my weapon. So if you sweep him to your right side, now you're doing it in a safe manner. Your weapon's protected. Your, your mace is protected. Your taser is still readily available. And now you're not in a vulnerable position anymore. You're in a position of control. So those types of things uh, will be uh, what we'll work on to, to, to I guess, kind of make jujitsu more law enforcement practical. Because it's hard to have a coach that's never been a cop to come in and teach a bunch of cops. A, a coach or a leader, for that matter, that doesn't understand weapon retention and being aware of your gun and being aware of your baton. So you want to have somebody that 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 has the, the the knowledge and the training to be able to go in and teach that stuff. So most definitely, I'll be there. And, and I wonder uh, again. I know you're still figuring out some of this, but I wonder how much classroom time would be spent just doing jujitsu mm-hmm. and how much is going to be spent uh, working on specific weapon retention yep. or cuffing techniques mm-hmm. against a resisting opponent. But what are I'm you glad you asked that question. Lines? So when I, man, when I tell you God gives you a vision, it's, it's amazing. So all of these things I'd never thought about, but they're, they're all, they're all up in the air. He's showing them all to me. So what do we do for me? Two days, jujitsu, three days, retention, training, handcuffing, uh, using jujitsu not just training it so you'll have your two days of training or three days of training whichever one the department chooses to do it it, it's still up in the air but if they do three days of training then you'll have two days of specific training for us you'd be calling it gi and no gi so for them they'll train with their uniform on uh you know tuesdays and wednesdays and on uh monday and friday or thursday they're training in their uniform, their law enforcement uniform, not a gi. Uh, so that way they're having a practical aspect to their training to see, okay, wait, how does this sweep work? Not knowing that you don't need a gi to sweep someone. You can grab their arm and grab their neck. So it's, it's going to be a really interactive course, um, but it's going to be a continuing education course. Uh, and all law enforcement officers have to do continuing education. They all do. Every department requires it, most of them anyway. Um, so jujitsu will be just like their law enforcement 
studying, but continuing education in self-defense. Nice. Okay. Um, so how about the uh, intensity level uh, and adrenaline dump? I mean, how, how do you train for that? Is there a way that you can work it in? Because that's got to be an issue. Of course. Remember... Uh, Remember the comedian Chris Rock? Mm-hmm. He, he had a line where he said, and, and this is very dated because we have a bigger understanding of things nowadays. But he, he had a joke one time, like, if you make the cops come after you, you know they're going to bring an ass whooping with mm-hmm. them. And I've always thought that at the end of a car race that turns into a foot race mm-hmm. that then turns into an altercation, yeah. that the cops just got so much going through his head at that point. Yes. So how do you prepare them to... Uh, to to react correctly under those circumstances oh man so uh before we started you said hey i'm gonna ask you some questions you may not want to answer and my reply to you was i'll answer anything i have nothing to hide because the things that i've done i'm proud of could have done them better could have done them a little bit different sure so to get to that point there was one time i was young hmm, 21 22 um i'm chasing a suspect and we're going, we're going, we're going. We must have ran for a good mile and a half, two miles. And again, I was young back then. So uh, when he stops, the dude throws his hands up and he says, okay, I quit. Now, being young, I don't have the self-control that I have now. Uh, I, was, I was a go-getter. I was, I, was, I, was, I was psyched up. I was amped up. And I'm running. Oh, hell no, bro. You're not about to quit. And I just run and I tackle this guy. Handcuff him. But yeah, could I have just said, okay, cool, get on the ground. But at that time, again, I was young. I didn't know any better. Um, so there was no how do you take it from zero to 100, but back down to zero again. I didn't have that filter. So I think that now being older, training jujitsu, knowing how to handle situations a lot better, my mind has gotten a lot wiser. I've gotten a lot more humble. Um, will also help these officers in those situations because now they can think. Now that they're not just on that one track of, hey, I got to subdue this suspect and I'm going to do whatever I got to do. No, now when he's running, he's thinking, okay, cool. When I grab this guy, I might get him with a sweep. I might go grab him and do a Sotogari on him or something like that. They're they're thinking. They're not just running. So I think that also will help our law enforcement because jujitsu makes you think. So just like when we train for competition, we have to train for that adrenaline dump. Whether it's in the gym, you know, working out your muscles, getting the lactic acid out, but you have to have live training. And in that live training, will it will it solve everything? No. Will it stop the adrenaline dump? No. But it will make them last longer and hopefully have a better situation. So that's the only way you're going to be able to do that. They got to they got to they got to train hard. Um, it's not going to be a, a powder puff class. It's good because it's going to be for men and women. This is going to be live training where you might get tapped out today. And you know how many times we go home with black eyes and bruised elbows and hurt ankles from an ankle lock. They're going to have to get it. You know, you're going to uh, mix in any uh, striking. Um, I, they, they have their own um, striking courses. Um, if, if, if the well, I won't say striking. We'll do stand up. How to deal with somebody throws a punch, stuff like that. But if if the if the the agencies allow us to actually, t- because some of these guys have never been in a fight before, some of them have been picked on in high school, uh, bullied, and 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 you know what? I want to be a cop. I I want to I want to I want to wear that badge because that badge gives you a, a a a false sense of security, a false sense of strength. So when they become cops, man, they get off the chain. That's why. 
That's why gym battles, I think, would be so important because mm-hmm. the first real fight you should get you get in shouldn't be when you have a gun. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. I mean, That's so not good, you bro. You should be at least tested in the gym yeah, before that point. For sure. it, it, it astounds me as not being a law enforcement officer to mm-hmm. hear you say yeah. that oftentimes the first fight a cop gets into is yeah. after he's on the streets. It yeah. just it's crazy, man. And you know, and I, look, I might have to write this on my notepad. So what we're going to do, this is what we're going to do. You asked, how can we help with that adrenaline jump? So just like we have competitions and the military does it, they have they have jujitsu competitions all the time in the military. We'll have interagency competitions. And that I think that will give them that that real live experience of a fight going up against somebody who knows just what you know someone who has to fight for their life just like you have to fight for their life and 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 you guys do it and i think that that would be something really easy for us to facilitate whether it's jefferson parish sheriff's office against terrebonne parish so or it's lafouche parish against um, whatever other parish there is out there or if it's sugarland pd against hpd being able to allow these officers to to, to get some live action in a group with their own constituents, with their own, you know, partners and, and fellow law enforcement officers, I think would be really awesome. So that's what we're going to do. That's how we're going to help with that. Okay. I think that's great. Okay, Alvin, uh, before we wrap this up, uh, anything else you want to touch on that maybe we've missed? Oh, man. Um, you know what? Yeah. One more thing. Um we as a country are better than what we're seeing every day. Um, some days I wake up, man, and I, I just want to cry when I watch the news and I watch these parents, um, whether they're black or white, uh, of their kids being killed or, you know, we as a nation have to be better. But in order for us as a nation, and I'm speaking to all my black people out there, we have to acknowledge that we are a part of the issue and the problem that we're facing in our community. We, not you, not y'all, we. I'm talking about myself included. We have to acknowledge that we have to start doing better as a people. We can't say, oh, man, the white dude's holding me down and this and, the, and, and that, you know, the white cops are, are killing all of our people. Well, if you want to see change, you have to be change. And that's what I'm doing now. With 26 Self-Defense, I'm going to be the change. I'm going to put myself on the side, put my gym on the side. My students call me every day. When are you going to open the gym, coach? Coach is not going to open the gym anytime soon. But I'm going to open and let one of my students teach just so we still have our gym. But we have to be that change. We have to step up. We have to start running for Congress. We have to start running for the Senate. We have to start running for sheriff. Uh, I think Fort Bend, first time I've seen in 12 years where there are two black people running for sheriff. That's really awesome. Um, but if we want to see change, guys, you have to start stepping up. So we, we have to get out there and start um, participating in, in society. Become police officers, guys. Become police officers. Carry a gun. Go out there and protect and serve your communities. Don't expect someone else to police what you should be policing, what we should be policing, which is each other. Treat each other better. Love one another. Don't hold each other back. Try to help each other up. That's something that has been engraved in us since slavery days to hold each other back. Um, you know, man, I, I, I saw this the other day. I was watching the movie and, and the, 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 the black guy that lived in the house was telling the master that the other black guy was running. Why would you tell him that he's running? Let him go. He's a slave. Let him get out of here. If you want to stay and be a servant, then stay and be a servant. But we have to try to help each other more. Um, more coaches need to start giving back to their communities. Um, 
you know, Jeremiah Matthews, he and I talked a few months ago, uh, maybe it was a little bit more than a month ago, uh, about going back to Third Ward in Houston and, and teaching jiu-jitsu for free. It hasn't quite hit the hit the ground running yet, but that's something that, that I think that we should do. Start exposing people to, to, to better things and not just waiting for them to, to get up on their own and when you see them, try to hold them back. So, um, and to my white counterparts, I would say this. You can't apologize for something that you did not do. Okay, slavery happened. All right. But people say get over it. We can't get over it until things change. So those of you who say that, please don't say that because we can't get over it until it's addressed. But don't feel like you have to bow down and, 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 and capitulate to black people because of slavery. No, make true change. Continue to be you. Expand your horizons. Get some black friends. Go, you know, hang out with somebody else other than that circle that you normally hang around with. Interact. Um, it, it's easy for me to say it because in the military, it's diverse. I had black, white, Puerto Rican, Haitian, whatever. So it's a little bit easier for me to see that. But you guys, we have to do better. We, we, we must do better. You know, and until we all as a country come together and acknowledge that we do have some issues, none of these things will ever change. So um, I just want to say that. And, and thank you for the opportunity uh, to be able to give my testimony and to speak. Um, it's really awesome. Anybody who knows me knows that I'm not a um, computer savvy, tech savvy, Twitter, Instagram and all that stuff. I don't do it. Diego gets on me all the time. Get on Twitter. Get on Instagram. Man, I don't know how to do it. But I, I'll try. Yeah, and, so. we'll, and we'll have some links in the show notes to this episode for the 26selfdefense.org and anything yes. else you get going up. For sure. Uh, I want to say to the listeners, man, if you take one thing away from this, uh, I hope it's uh, 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 a desire to go out and do something on your own to make yeah. a difference. You know, uh, I, I hit you up to have this interview before you made your trip to Louisiana, mm-hmm. just based mm-hmm. on the incident that your sister had uh, encountered. And after I saw that you went to Louisiana and met with the sheriff, I was like, oh, this is even better. Yeah. Because that's really what it's all about. We can scream and holler or mm-hmm. we can join large protest Protest, groups, yeah, all that know, stuff. All, all kinds of things we could do, but we could also just go out and try and make a difference in yes. the little corner of the world that we live in. And we and, can. And I think ultimately that's the way that we get ahead of For it. For sure. So. And I think that your podcast, I look forward to hearing it, um, is going to make a difference because you have a platform, bro, a platform that, that is non-biased and not all platforms are that way. Um, you look at CNN and Fox News, they're biased. They're not telling truths. They're telling half-truths. And you brother you you, you're letting speak people speak truths and i appreciate that so that's awesome and and that's the whole point of this episode and i'm glad we got to uh some jujitsu as well but uh anyway alvin again i want to thank you for taking the time to thank you man thank you thank you thank you and thank your listeners too i appreciate you guys and hopefully i get to talk to you all soon all right i appreciate alvin coming on and taking this time to come down and talk with us um hopefully if nothing else you'll be uh Maybe encouraged to think about uh, stepping up and, and taking action yourself. I like that Alvin's thinking about getting together with the sheriff's departments and providing some training, and I, I think he's heading in the right direction. So thanks for coming on, Alvin. Yeah, thank you, Alvin. And and the uh, I've, I've, I was I Gary was on the Old Rollers podcast, and I was just recently interviewed for the Twenty Four Forty Eight podcast, which is a firefighting podcast. Like, so we work our twenty four hour period on and then we're off for 48 so it's the 24 48 podcast he wanted to talk to me about uh doing jujitsu and being a firefighter and kind of uh mixing those two worlds because he's interested in that and so that may or may not be out by the time this airs 
If it is, I'll put a link. If not, just type it in and I'll pop right up on there if you're interested in that. But one of the things I mentioned was there have been, he asked me when I started uh, jiu-jitsu and when I started, you know, becoming a firefighter. And there have been police on the mats since we started, Gary, since 2002. That We walked in and I remember seeing Bob and, and Dave there. It's like, okay, you know, that's just, and ever since then, it's been the same. There's, I've always been fortunate to train with really great police officers. And uh, now, you know, as the recruit classes come through, I get to see and work with most of the recruits that are, that are coming through uh, Wichita. They hire some great people. And, and I'm really proud to work with those individuals and, and, and get them uh, a little glimpse of grappling. And some of them will come in and train more afterwards, and that's really cool. But um, it's just, I, I think from, <laughs> from my point of view, I've, wor- I've seen and worked with so many people who are signing up to uh, serve their community, and, and, and they have the, uh, the best intentions in mind. And uh, I'm really proud of the, the people, the police officers that I've gotten to know and, and train with over the many years we've been training. Absolutely. Good point, Byron. Thanks. And you got to, I mean, so I, I've seen these things like people will say, I don't know. I, I don't really have too big of a tangent. Like all police officers should be a, a blue belt or purple belt. Like that's not no. a real thing. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Like, I don't know. You could calculate it and it might be kind of a fun experiment. How much is the blue belt worth? So, okay, let's just say you train three times a week uh, for two years, do the math on that, and, and then pay a police officer. I don't know if they get paid 30 or $40 an hour. So, okay, boom, blue belt costs that much to make a police officer a blue belt. Like, that's – they don't have that much time to train. They don't – they're not going to – like, we're always short-staffed here, it seems like, in, in Wichita as far as uh, – people on the on the street going to emergencies sometimes it you know they're a little short-staffed and so put them in training and it's it's even worse uh it's a delicate balance that they have to walk but to say that yeah well i was gonna say i hate to say it but my my here we are on a podcast getting on tangents but my personal opinion is that the funding as far as the funding of the police goes it's going to cost money to fix it not less money but more money. And part of that, I think, is to hire enough police officers so they have the time to train, uh, put enough money in the system so that the training can be paid for. Um, I, I agree with you, Byron. I, they're, they're already too busy. They're overworked. Um, anyway, not to get off on a tangent, go ahead. Yeah. No, it, that's a it's a great point, and it's a hard job. And, and, and Gary gets to see a lot of them as well come in. You know, they're – they do have the uh, the look in their eyes like they they are they're proud to serve the community and and they want to go protect people and they want to be the ones uh, arresting you know the rapist or the murderer and they want to do these things and like in reality it's a thankless job that you have to high risk <laughs> like it's it's super hard uh i i'm glad i went towards fire <laughs> instead of uh, the police side because it's just they're totally different jobs i mean if you're considering one or the other take a good look at both and see which one fits you and serve your community that way but uh i always push people towards firefighting <laughs> but we need really good people to do both absolutely you know you're talking about that byron um we had a show not too long ago uh, with Richard Holt um, talking about training 
for police officers. I'm not sure what episode it is, but, you know, any of our listeners, uh, you know, Google that episode. Uh, really great information. Richard's been with the uh, uh, police department for a long time. I've had the pleasure of training with him. Byron's had the pleasure of training with him. And uh, he really, uh, really knows his stuff. He's a defensive, defensive tactics instructor. That was episode 344. And yeah, I can Byron's put a link in there. Yeah, I just oh, typed in Google. Said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gary. Twice, even. <laughs> So you guys got some some homework to do. <laughs> Check out Gary on the Old Rollers podcast, me on the Twenty Four Forty Eight podcast, and then if you want to get in a little bit deeper into uh, jujitsu and police, uh, definitely Richard Holt's episode is interesting. Three Forty Four. So how about that article you sent us, Byron? How to deal with your stress during the pandemic when you cannot grapple? How's your experience been with that? That's that. So I had I have a different view on dealing with stress on the mats. I think a lot of people, and maybe they just talk about it the way that that I think is inaccurate. But they come in and like they get out their aggression onto somebody else. <laughs> like 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 Joe, if you come in and you beat me up, you you go you leave and you feel calm and better. You know, like that's not. That's not what's happening. Like, I I don't believe that's happening. Like, you, like so the act of beating me up doesn't cause you to relieve stress. The act of the physical exertion causes the stress to go away. And so, like, let's well, just so say... Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just want to interject something here. You must be hanging around a drastically tougher crowd than I'm hanging around with because <laughs> I, I haven't known anybody that thought the point was to beat somebody else up so you would release your stress. I, I always assumed that it had to do with the physical exertion and the clearing of your head. That, I think that's why jiu-jitsu is different than some other sports like running. I don't know if that clears your head. It doesn't clear mine. I got too much time to think. But when, when I get singularly focused on if I don't win this grip battle, I'm I'm tapping, I'm going, or I'm going to take a nap. That's when I relieve the stress. Sorry for interrupting no, you. No, that's, a, that's you a good be, point. You must be hanging around a tougher crowd than me. <laughs> hey, fire, we still going <laughs> to hang out? Yeah. No, Joe, I hear what you're saying. Um, but I think I'm a little different than that. Um, you know, I really, I, I do like your point, Byron, because I used to think, oh, man, I can't wait to beat somebody up to relieve my stress. And that's how I would word it. But I never really thought a lot about it. But, Byron, you're 100% on um, because not only would I just do jujitsu to relieve stress, but um, just going for a walk with my dog relieves stress. Um, you know, I know that's a little different than you said, Joe, because I'm not singularly focused on anything. But I, I think it's I'm just getting outside. I'm enjoying the fresh air. Um, you know, just right before we came on, I was uh, lifting weights in my basement gym and, uh, you know, put my earbuds in and listen to a little Cody Jenks. And that just uh, clears my head. I don't think about anything. It just uh, relieves all my stress till I get back on the show. And, you know, I got Byron making fun of me, but I don't think you've made fun of me yet today. So. Well, I did about the glasses. I said that they make a lot of people look better, and then you also wear glasses. Implying that you didn't look better wearing them. 
Yeah. You'll figure it out so, when yeah, he sees it. Let's go right back to it. And keep pounding on that thing. But yeah, I can't wait to hang out with you a little bit later, Barnard. <laughs> some stress. No, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm hanging out with people like Gary too much. Uh, that, that, I don't, just take that thought and just put shelve it. If you think that you need to, like, jujitsu causes you to relieve stress because you are smashing somebody or, you know, dishing out punishment to somebody, that's not where the stress relief likely comes from. That's not where the stress relief likely comes from. It comes from the act of doing something physical and challenging. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. So I'm in that boat as far as it's, the activity could help, but there doesn't need to be a victim to your stress relief. Uh, there shouldn't like Joe. be. Joe, does playing guitar and riding your uh, uh, skateboard relieve stress for you? Uh, yes, but playing the guitar more so than skateboarding, I think for the same reason as jujitsu, in that I get lost in my playing. For some yeah. reason, when I'm skating, I'm still thinking about life, I think. And, you know, I, I, and oftentimes I'm looking at my watch like I, I can only skate for 20 minutes and then I got to get back on the road and head to work. Okay. I, I think I, for everybody else, it's probably for every person, it's probably different. But for me, it's the act of having a clear mind for I mean, I can go into jujitsu class and, you know, two hours later leave and, and I didn't think about work and I didn't think about the lockdown and I didn't think about, you know, my money and. And to me, that's stress relieving. That's it. Awesome. Byron, what about you? I know you like to run. Uh, you like to ride your bike without a seat. Um, <laughs> just a seat post. How does, does that help you a lot? Like, I would say. forget about your stress? <laughs> oh, good one, Gary. I, I would say that it, the act of skateboarding would cause me to stress out. I would be stressed about, okay, which hospital is closer? <laughs> uh, how bad am I going to break my arm? Is it going to be my knee this time? Like, that would be super stressful because I, <laughs> I can't skateboard. But uh, yeah, it's something we don't know. Like yeah. I, I would be the same boat. I get on it. I feel like I'm uh, unstable. Yeah. Uh, well, Gary, that's sort of your frame of mind most days. <laughs> that's how I relaxed, yo. Well, I gotta. That's how I get the stress out. So, guys, check out the article on grapplinginsider.com. dot com. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> we should talk about the article a little bit. <laughs> no, but to your question, yeah, it, basically any fitness, oftentimes any uh, change of pace. So if I'm stressed about one thing, doing something else could do that. And maybe that's go outside and, and mow the yard or uh, go eat lunch. I don't know. Like just changing your environment, changing your pace, changing the people Point. you're around sometimes. Uh, those could all just kind of break some of that stress up a little bit. Uh but this article has some good recommendations because, in reality, jujitsu is a great cure for, you know, helping you relieve stress. It's a crazy good workout. So take that yeah. away, or limit it, or uh, only only grapple the people that you live with, and you may not get the same stress relief as possible. They, one of the recommendations in the article is to keep your body active, and it recommends some of the solo drills by uh, Danaher, Galvo, or, or Cabrinha. They all have solo drills that uh, are available that for you to uh, do for free, and, and uh, that's definitely a way to kind of keep your head in the game, kind of, versus, um, you know, just like Gary says, I can ride my bike all, all day. <laughs> or, <laughs> I don't know why I go there. Um, <laughs> yeah, really fun. <laughs> 
Um, no, or go running or, you know, I'm doing uh, kettlebell. I basically just do Turkish get up, um, you know, 20 or so times. Uh, and that's a really good workout. And, Turkish get ups. Yeah. That it's, and it's, it's somewhat technical as well. Like I have to think about, um, I'm not just, <laughs> here we go again, Gary. I'm not just getting on to run my bike. I have to think about how my body's moving, where the weight is, how the balance is. Um, like there's a, there's quite a bit of thought. It's not like I'm like, there's not an opponent other than just gravity. But if I get off balance, I don't want to drop the weight. I don't want to get thrown and, 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 you know, lose that thing. And there's, there's a bit of a challenge with that versus just lifting yeah, weights. So it's yeah. and like when you're riding your bike, the only thing you got to think about is, you know, I got to spray it down with WD-40 before <laughs> I start. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, I like the part, uh, you know, he says you can go for a walk, which we already talked about, a run, which we talked about, kayak, yoga, lay out on the grass. And, uh, you know, a good point is vitamin D is good for your body, mind, and soul. Um, you know, vitamin D is really important. Get out in the sun or some people may even, uh, you know, take a vitamin D supplement uh, to keep your mind strong. Gary, I'm glad you're actually talking about the, the vitamin D from the sun instead of something else, my man. <laughs> I could have went that way, but I didn't. But, you know, I have to admit, uh, you know, I was going to a chiropractor for a while and uh, he was telling me uh, about the lack of vitamin D when he does blood testing uh, on people, uh, blood samples or whatever, panels or whatever you call it. Um, but he was saying like the majority of his patients were low in vitamin D and, you know, he was saying that's something he always recommends. So I started taking a vitamin D supplement and also trying to get outside and, and do exercise outside instead of just going to the gym and doing jujitsu and running around the track indoor gym, playing basketball indoors, lifting weights indoors. So, you know, I always try to make time to get out and ride my bike outside um, with a seat and go take my dog for a walk or, uh, you know, just go for a walk. Well, I guess I never go for a walk by myself, just take my dog. But just try to get outside has, has really done wonders for me. You know, Plus, I think I look better with tan. <laughs> with these crappy glasses, you know, I have everything, you know, in my favor. Well, one, one thing about your glasses, Gary, when you and Byron are having lunch together and you're sitting across the table from each other and you take your glasses off, he thinks you look better and you think he looks better too. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you know, that one was a good one, Joe. Did have to start wearing glasses is when I was rolling with Byron, I could never find his arms, so I had to you know get a little magnifying just so I could uh, find him. Damn tiny little things. <laughs> oh my man! So keep keep your body active, keep your mind busy as well. That was point number two, and um, he talks a lot about uh, watching instructionals and listening to podcasts, and, and we've thrown out some recommendations for some other episodes, some other podcasts. Um, but I think that's great. Talked about other hobbies. Also talked about eating well. So go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say going, keeping your mind busy. One thing that really helped me is I was going through a pattern where I was pretty well stressed. Um, you know, jujitsu and everything else really didn't keep my stress level low enough. And, uh, one thing I started doing is, uh, reading. I know Byron, you're really big into reading. Um, but man, I would, uh, find myself a good book and, I couldn't wait to get home from work and, uh, 
you know, just start reading. And, uh, you know, I would just get, uh, wouldn't even know where I was at. I, next thing I know, a couple hours would have went by. And, you know, on top of that, uh, you know, losing the stress, uh, you know, from not thinking about anything. But, uh, you know, I learned a lot, too, um, depending on whatever I was reading. So uh, I think reading's a great way. Uh doesn't have to deal with jujitsu, just anything to, uh, to reduce your stress. Good one. And, Joe, you started to mention eating uh, healthy. I think here's here's part of my problem. <laughs> uh, I, I like to go train jujitsu and work out, you know, really hard or just train hard, and it happens to be a workout at the same time. And then when when I switch that with running or a good long bike ride with Gary <laughs> uh, or um, – You know, though, after that bike ride – you need sugars to replace yourself. You should come on and have a banana. <laughs> well, what I want to know, Byron, when, when you go on a bike ride with Gary, um, is he leading the way or is he always behind you? <laughs> he, he likes to, he likes to follow me. He says the view is pretty good. Um, okay. So anyway, with the, with eating is when I'm doing jujitsu several times a week, I think I could burn a few more calories than when I go – and just go work out. I don't push myself as hard. And there definitely have been some runs that I've done where uh, I come home and, and I pushed really hard. And that and those are those are really rewarding. But it's easier to push myself harder when I match up with, you know, get Joe for a round and we push pretty hard, and get Gary for a round and we you know, we go pretty hard, and I get Jake Fox for a round and Jake Smith. It's like I don't have a choice. I am. It's like I am getting a really good workout. I have to, <laughs> and as, as as long as I'm getting another round, uh, I'm I'm getting I'm having to run faster than I am comfortable running sometimes, and that's that's a way that I think is nice to kind of help me if I have a a cheat meal or have a couple of uh, snacks or whatever. But if I'm just going to go do a jog to go work out, I'm not pushing myself as hard, you know. And 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 I do let's say I do twenty Turkish get ups. Maybe I could have done twenty five or thirty, but I I said I'm going to do twenty. I did twenty. <laughs> it's 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 not quite the same as 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 the as the push uh, that I would get. So I think it is important to clean up my diet and and try to um, benefit in that category. Byron, one way uh, you know I'd recommend on your runs to really push yourself: put a stake in your back pocket. And all the stray dogs will be chasing you, make you run a little bit faster. That's literally like the nicest thing you've said about me <laughs> since the interview. <laughs> We've been hammering each other. I don't know where you're going to go with that, Gary. Yeah. No, I mean, you're, you're going to have dogs chasing you, and you're going to have to run a little faster. And then after the end of it, I can have that steak. Yep. Healthy. There you go. Another one I think that is important here is staying connected with the jiu-jitsu community. So – it, it is pretty apparent that literally all of jiu-jitsu is doing things differently than the rest of jiu-jitsu. <laughs> like, each city has its own thing. Each state has their own thing. Like, okay, some gyms are, are open, full blast. Some gyms are closed, you know, nothing going on at all. And sometimes they, they maybe they train in small groups. Maybe you do other things. I don't know. Uh, but th- to have that connection with your community is very important. And, and that's one of the big things. Like, you could even say with the – that might be one of the bigger stress reliefs. So I could tell – let's say I've had a long day. You know, I got Gary making fun of me all day and, and, and Joe's fanning fam- the flames, <laughs> whatever. Like sometimes I go – I walk into class 
and I and I feel like I've had a long day. Maybe work stressed me out or something like that. And during the warm up, I feel good. I haven't even broken a sweat yet. And I think that's just because the people. Like I like seeing these people. These people are my friends. I, I mentioned that on the on the But they don't feel the same way though. Yeah, they avoid me. But on the on the twenty four forty eight podcast I was on, like I go work out with thirty of my buddies. That's crazy. That's awesome. Like that's compare that to going to the gym by yourself and lifting weights or doing my trucker skips. There's no comparison as far as which one is going to make me feel better just by being there and staying connected with that community may, may not be super easy. It may not be the same, but if you're able to do that, uh, that, 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 that's going to help you, um, not deal with as much stress. I think. That's a good point, Byron. It's always good to, uh, if you can't train, depending on what your community regulations are, you know, it's good to, uh, you know, get out and enjoy lunch. And while you're there, you know, you're going to be talking about jujitsu or whatever. And it's, uh, you know, it's going to make you feel good. Jujitsu is ingrained in us, makes us feel good. So, um, you know, get out, have a barbecue. Uh, I would say go see a movie, but, uh, you know, most of those are shut down too. This, uh, hey, speaking of that, Joe, like, you know, just real quick, Joe, how is it in uh, Houston? Is there gyms open? Oh, man, they're all handling it differently. Um, but but they've been open to varying degrees, some of them full-blown. But I have a feeling that's starting to back down is that as we're airing this episode or as we're recording it, uh, the COVID, we've had a week's worth of spikes in that, in Houston. So it's slowing down, I think, Gary. Yeah, Let, hey, that's kind of same thing happened here. Yeah, Let, we should timestamp this episode. Today is July twelfth. We're recording this. It won't air on the twelfth. It won't air on the thirteenth. It'll take me a, a little while to get this thing edited. Joe, do you do you know when you did the interview? The date with Alvin. Um, about five days before I sent it to you. I get you the exact so date. Maybe early five, July. Five. July fifth, I want to okay, say. Okay, okay. Just just to say, I mean, stuff changes so fast all the time. Like, it, yeah, really, it does. That's yeah, when the Byron, when's the last time you rode your bike? I just right before I got in here to record the podcast. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Today's July fifth. So. <laughs> the bike is not the main form of fitness. Um, I haven't ridden it probably for a couple of months, but like, uh, I do run, and 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 that's when I mean, me and my wife did a. Uh, a bike race. So we've done lots of five K's and half marathons, that sort of thing. But, uh, she wanted to do a bike race. It was like, I don't know if it's 30 miles or something like that. Maybe a 50 K, which is 30 miles basically, but that sounds right. So we had to get in shape for that and rode our bikes on that one, Gary, that'd make you proud. That was more than a year ago. Good job, Becky. They made me wear, have a seat on that one. (laughs) (sighs) Had to, had to borrow Gary's bike. Did they make you use protection? Did you wear a helmet? Yeah, that well, that's, I mean, so here's the deal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, yeah, you, a helmet required, and they have some other laws or whatever. It's, they try to be as safe as they can, but I, running a marathon is, is a super dangerous activity. People die all the time doing that. And they did have a gentleman. I, I didn't had, know that. They had a guy ha- have a heart attack uh, on on the bike course last year at this thing at the event oh boy. and it was like okay that's 
that's uh that's too bad yeah but I don't, I don't that's kind of a, hey that ends on a downer <laughs> sorry guys hey let's go do a little jujitsu <laughs> get ourselves back yeah there you go good idea Gary take away some of that stress or some of that that mood yeah. I just put you guys in or you can just go sit on your exercise bike <sighs> man so here's the deal I mean we're harping on this whole bike thing but I know next time we record, this will have been, you know, well, you'll have a new way to tease me and, and, and joke about. So at least it'll be new. You'll, you'll look up something different there. Uh, I don't know. Gary's pretty consistent with that bike thing. And, you know, <laughs> when somebody's obsessed with something like that, it kind of makes you wonder. <laughs> he, the weird thing is he always wants to borrow my bike. And it's just like, <laughs> no, Gary. Oh, and by the way, do you have a can of WD forty? <laughs> oh, Gary always has a can of WD forty. <laughs> He's got that under control. It works everywhere. <laughs> oh. All right, guys. Um, if if you enjoyed the show or have any questions or like kind of comment about this is this wasn't our typical interview, and we welcome a discussion. Um, probably on the Facebook page would be an interesting, interesting place to do that. Uh, but yeah, we want to hear from you guys on that. If you want to have any of us on a podcast, I think we're all kind of getting other podcasts that have invited us on there and, and that'll be happening. So, um, you know, we're kind of that, that person at the dance floor that doesn't turn anybody down. <laughs> if you, if you want to talk about jujitsu or talk about something like if you want to talk about, you know, maybe a skateboarding podcast wants to have Joe on there talk about skateboarding and jujitsu. Boom. There you go. Ooh. Um, that that would be Joe would would do well on that. You know, it would be a fun topic, to, and I would love to hear that. But I can't conduct that interview, and that's not this podcast. But whatever, if you have a podcast out there, you want to get one of us, um, just message us on the Facebook page or email me, and I'll get the message passed on to to whoever you need. Uh, the email bjbreak at gmail dot com, and uh, just put interview request in the title, and I'll, and I'll uh, we'll get the thing arranged because it's been fun being being on other podcasts. Um, if you would like to support this podcast, we have a Patreon support page where you can go and pledge a certain amount per episode. And I send you out a, uh, a five-inch BJJ Brick gi patch you can put on your fancy gi or maybe your less fancy gi if you want to keep your fancy gi fancy. And I'll also send you a sticker as well. And uh, just, those are just tokens of appreciation for your support for the for the podcast and help us keep uh, what we're doing um, check that out. There'll be a link in the show notes for the Patreon page. And that really means a lot for everybody who signed up and supported us through that or who has bought an audio book and uh, helped keep this show going through that means as well. We forget anything? No, Are we going to talk about so bikes again? <laughs> <laughs> Gary, if, so, if, <laughs> hey, you know, I threw that to, to Joe. You know, he might be on a skateboarding podcast. Anybody want to talk to Gary about bike riding and his thoughts on on that? That well, would be a uh, it's a thing. <laughs> or or uh, if you're into lubricants, Gary seems to know a lot about <laughs> which ones work the best for which situations. I'm glad you guys got that it was a lubricant because I, I didn't want to be so obvious. To, uh, you know, just. I didn't know if you guys would get that, but uh, <laughs> come on, Gary! <laughs> <laughs> oh, you little faith! <laughs> just, just in case that the wheel bearings are squeaky. <laughs> yeah, the chain needs to be. 
No, but in reality, guys, uh, don't put too much WD-40 on your bike. It attracts dirt, and it'll kind of make you a lot of grime. Uh, just public service announcement right there, my friends. It's actually, and it's actually not a lubricant. WD stands for water disbursement, so uh, it kind of feels like it's lubricating things at first, but eventually <laughs> it'll get dry and rough and chapped. So that uh, white, white silicone grease. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what? Dry and the rough. Kind, the, kind, the kind that come with that little red long straw so that you can squirt it in tight spots. <laughs> uh, you know, I think this episode's cooked. We might want to get the baster to pop out. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The, the, uh, the turkey timer has popped. Uh, guys, like the thing says, like the article says, uh, if you're being stressed, stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to shower. Train hard, train smart, get better, guys. We'll see you on the mats. You got to wash all that WD-40 off, Gary. Uh, speaking of that, I think I'm about ready to go for a bike ride. <laughs> so he's real about serious. that. It's 100 degrees out there, Gary. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You can visit our website at bjjbrick.com for more good times. Swing by and like our Facebook page. Our email is bjjbrick at gmail.com.